0: Good morning, Veritas Church. How are we doing today? Good. Love to hear it. If we haven't met, my name is Jordan. I'm on staff here with our college ministry. want to do a couple things for you quick. First, direct your attention to the program. So if you look at the back of this thing, it has a lot of important dates and information that you actually should be reading and participating in, okay? So I'm not going to talk about them because I trust you can read, but make sure to read it. Sound good? Say, yep. Love it. Alright, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you two announcements that aren't on here, because I can. The first is, this morning, we celebrated our first baptism service for Veritas Urbana. Yeah, that's sweet. So, if you're relatively new here, uh, we actually were able, by the grace of God, to help plant a church up in Urbana, Iowa, at the end of April. And this morning, five people entered into the waters of baptism, saying, I am new in Christ Jesus. And I think one of the sweet things is, like, our day and age, there's a lot of confusion around the doctrine of baptism. And so sometimes you see people get baptized that are just like, I've been following Jesus for 20 years, and I just never knew I was supposed to do that. But these five actually all have given their lives to Christ within the last eight months. So this is true, genuine heart change, a miracle, And heaven is celebrating, so we want to celebrate too. Second thing, uh, I want to actually have you mark a date on your calendar. It's two weeks from today, September 25th. Because we can, we're creating our own holiday, okay? Uh, This is called Veritas Feed a College Student Sunday. Yeah, it's exactly what you think it is. We're going to tell all of our college students, hey, if you want a free meal on Sunday the 25th, sit over here okay? And then what you get to do is make extra food, and you get to walk over, and you get to say, hi, my name is, and I have extra food. Do you want to come eat it? And they will say, I would love to come eat your food. And you get to know some college students, okay? Here's why we're doing this. We actually believe that the local church is God's plan A for our college students. Though we love the Salt Company, we love coming together on Thursday nights, We actually want our students to get to know members of the local church. And so we're saying, hey, college students, make yourself visible. And we're telling you, Veritas Church, pursue them and feed them. And we trust it's going to be an awesome Sunday. So that's two weeks from today, the 25th. Go get it. Sound good? Say yep. Love it. All right. We're going to dig into Genesis here. Excited. Uh, We have a lot to cover. And if you... Did what I told you to do and started reading in the back. You're like, a lot to cover. Two verses? Yeah, we got a lot to cover. So, uh, before we do that, I just want to ask you a quick question, which is this: Have you ever misunderstood or misapplied something and seen it go drastically wrong? I'm sure you have. I mean, I think of a common example, which is, you know, using dish soap instead of dish detergent. Maybe it wasn't you, but, you know, left the kids at home, said, here's the list of chores, go ahead and do dishes, and they use dish soap in the dishwasher, and you come home and there's just suds all over the kitchen floor, and you're like, what have we done? No! Or maybe it's something a little bit more comical, depending on which side you're on. I have a friend grew up with, played football with. Um, He has a younger sister, and he was playing football, tackle football, fifth and sixth grade. And when you're that young, they're saying, "Hey, if you're gonna play tackle football, we want you to wear an athletic cup." And so he had an athletic cup. Okay. Uh, his sister is at home. Mom is upstairs folding the laundry, and she walks upstairs with her oxygen mask on. <laughs> yeah, not an oxygen mask. Yeah, went tragically wrong. And you might be sitting here, and you're like, "Okay, I've never done something like that." Like. You know, I've never put dish soap in the dishwasher instead of dish detergent. I've never put an athletic cup on as an oxygen mask. I get it. But what if I told you there is a good chance that you've gotten something drastically wrong and it's having serious implications on your life right now? Would you want to know about it? I think you would. And I think the reality is by the time we walk out these doors today, we're going to figure out we have gotten something drastically wrong. And it's something that we need to address before we start facing the consequences of. And so let me ask you another question. Why are you here? And I'm not just asking you, like, why are you at Veritas Church? I'm really glad you're here. I'm not trying to, like, push you, like, why are you here? Get out. No, we love the fact that you're here. And I'm not even just asking, like, why why do you... Exist. Like, why are you here on earth? You're like, well, you see, Jordan, my mom and my dad really liked each other a few years ago. I get it, okay? I'm not asking about what you do for work, what you have accomplished, what you want to accomplish, your bucket list, your dreams, your ambitions. I'm asking a very pointed question that goes back to the book of Genesis, which we're in, this word that means origins or beginning. And I'm asking the question, why did God create human beings? Or maybe to make it a little bit more pointed, why did God create you? Why did God create you? And we want to open up our Bibles and we want to hear from God to get this answer of why did God make us? And so we're going to open up to page one of your Bible. Okay, Genesis 1. Again, this book that means origins or beginnings and we're in the first chapter, page one of your Bible. If you missed last week, Ian kind of opened up our series and I think he gave us a couple helpful statements that I hope continue to guide us as we work our way through this book. Okay, the first is this. This, speaking of the Bible and the book of Genesis, this is not a book for us to bring our own opinions to. Rather, it is a book for us to ask the question, God, what do you have to say? And secondly, this is not a book... For you to win arguments with, it's a book about God that we can know Him, love Him, and obey Him. This book is not all about you. This book is all about God. And yes, it is going to answer this question why did God make you? But it's ultimately about God. And so Ian talked through Genesis 1, the first 25 verses. And what he kind of opened our eyes to is this reality of creation showing us God's control and care, right? You see, at the very beginning, the earth, it says, was without form and void, was in chaos, and then God speaks. He opens his mouth, and with the very words, let there be, boom, creation happens. God speaks life and order into place, we see God's incredible power put on display. And the the sheer fact that God has created actually tells us that God is in charge, right? If God has created the world, he gets to tell the world what to do. He has the authority. But not only is God in charge, we get to see that God cares deeply, right? You just look at the attention to detail in the first 25 verses of Genesis, how God just so intricately wires creation in such a way that it brings about life and fruit and flourishing. God is not only powerful, he is considerate, right? He moves towards us, he cares. But we actually ended last week kind of, not all the way through creation, right? We got to see God create night and day, and we got to see him make, you know, the land and the sea and the creatures and the plants. But today we're getting to humanity. It's really sweet. I want you guys to read these verses with me. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And the Spirit of God says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember Genesis is not a book that was written to Adam and Eve was written in between the years of 1440 and 1400 B.C. by a man named Moses. He is leading Israel in the wilderness. They've been set free from captivity in Egypt, and now they're wandering around in the wilderness, and God speaks to Moses and through Moses to bring this word to the Israelites about himself and about who they are. And if you lived in ancient Bible times, you're actually well aware of this idea of living under the authority of a king, right? In ancient Bible times, kings ruled territories, and they actually called themselves gods. Like, these kings that were not God-honoring would call themselves gods. And what they would do is they would actually set up statues all throughout the territories of themselves to remind the people who was in charge, right? They were the gods. They were the ones that determined right and wrong. They were the ones that determined who did what, who went where. In these statues, the Hebrew word for them is called "selam," which means idol or image. Can you say that with me? Selem. All right. That's what you should do with your Hawkeye football tickets. So <laughs> I, just, I just taught you Hebrew. So you're welcome. Um, sorry. That actually is the Hebrew word for idol or image, okay? (laughs) Sell them. Um, But these kings were setting up these idols or images throughout these territories, and the Israelites knew a lot better than to fall into this scheme, right? They're like, human kings, human authorities, they're not gods, because they knew the creator God. They knew this God that we read about last week that was speaking things into existence and was ruling with his power and authority. And so they would look at these other kings and kingdoms and they would say, man, it doesn't make sense for us to reduce our big, powerful creator God into a statue. But actually, as we read this text, God is opening their eyes to a much bigger reality. And what he is trying to tell them is that people don't have to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. That's amazing, right? Who are these selims or these images of God? Humanity, mankind. We are introduced to this idea of the Imago Dei, that God would make mankind in his image. And this is a huge concept, okay? Hundreds and hundreds of books have been written over this, And we have about the next 25 minutes to talk through what does the Imago Day mean? Like, what does it mean, point blank, and then what does it mean for us? And there's a lot of things that could be said. If you're interested in learning more, I actually want to point your attention to the Gospel Coalition. They have a several-week study on the Imago Day that I think is worth looking into uh, if this is a deep dive you want to go in. And I think it'll spur you on. But for the next 25-ish minutes, I want us to just answer the questions, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Point blank. And then what are the implications? And so first, as we just look at what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I think there's a lot of different things that it can mean, right? First and foremost, we know that humanity is made differently than the rest of creation. That God would look at all of these other things he's made and he's called it good, but when it comes to humanity, that mankind is the first thing that he has said this is made in my image. And so, maybe it means that we are made in God's image because we have a sense of morality. Right? We have a sense of right and wrong. We know good and evil. We actually care about justice and injustice. Maybe it means that we're made in the image of God because we have rationality. We can apply logic and reason We're not just habits of instinct. We can actually begin to think and reason our way to a decision. Maybe it's our spirituality, right? Solomon would say that mankind was made with eternity written on his heart. So the fact that we were created to know God and interact with God. Maybe it's our creativity, right? If we're made in God's image and he's a creator, we were made to create. And if you enjoy any various form of art, whether it's painting or music or poetry, you understand, like, this is amazing, that God would allow mankind to be creative. Maybe it's our language, the fact that we can communicate with each other. Maybe it's our relationships. To think that mankind can actually have relationships with one another that are Rooted in these ideas of love and commitment. That's not true of the rest of creation. And these are all great ideas, great concepts, and I think very good components of what it means to be made in God's image. But for the sake of simplicity, and actually to give just a really good answer, I think John Piper, who is an author and pastor up in the Twin Cities, answers this well. Okay, he says. Images are created to image. Images are created to image. And so imagine you're the king of the world and you decide what you want to do is create 7.9 billion statues of yourself over the face of the earth and you plant them from Cedar Rapids, Iowa to Uganda. What do you think you're trying to do? You're trying to get people to see you. Right, You're trying to get people to understand you, who you are, your authority, your rule. And that's exactly what God is doing. When he sets up these selims. mankind, made in the image of God, he has created 7.9 billion people currently on the face of the planet to reveal himself. And so I want you to, to first answer this question, why are you here by understanding that God made you. God made you, okay? I don't know if that's new to you or not, but the reality is there is a God that exists that purposefully created you. I look at statistics that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. 37 trillion cells in the human body, And in any given second, 100 trillion synapses happening in the human brain every second. This is the sign of a divine creator that has made you on purpose and with purpose. This is not a product of chance. And I think on one hand, sometimes in our culture, we can joke sometimes as parents of like, oh yeah, they were an oops, or like, oh, we didn't plan for that. The sad reality is, I've sat across the table from a college student who has literally looked me in the eyes and told me, My parents told me I'm a, I'm a mistake and I shouldn't be here. And he didn't think that was funny. And I think the reality is, for some of you in this room, whether your parents have said that to you or whether you've just sat there and felt that way, you have felt like you don't belong here. And I just want to speak the truth into that lie and say, You belong here. You are not an accident. You were made on purpose and with purpose because God created you. the fact that you are here today is evidence of that. And so first, God made you, but then the question is, why did he make you? If he made me on purpose and with purpose, what is this purpose? And it's the same idea of images being created to image. This is our main idea of the text, 26 and 27. God created you to reveal him. God created you to reveal him. Think about that. That, As a finite, limited, broken human being, that God would create the human race and say, you are meant to reveal God. Like this big, beautiful, powerful, amazing, caring, kind God. And he wants to make himself known, how? Through you, through me, through humanity, Like verse 26, I just want to look at the first sentence here. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this word man here is Adam, which doesn't mean men, it means mankind, which means everybody. Everybody that has walked the face of the planet, God has created mankind in his image. And I think there's actually two ways that we, we can get this wrong, okay? The first is you think really lowly of yourself. Maybe you self-deprecate. You go home and you're like, man, I'm a mistake. I'm awful at this. I, can, I you know, I'm worthless. And I just, again, I want to speak truth into that lie and say that is not true, And your self-deprecation is an offense to God because he has made you in his image. He has made you on purpose and with purpose and the fact that you are created in the image of God inherently means that you have dignity, value, worth, and purpose. Okay? So there is no room for self-deprecating when it comes to being created in the image of God. But unfortunately, I think... Many of us, myself included, are prone to actually swing the pendulum the other way. We think too highly of ourselves. Right? Created in the image of God, of course he created me in his image. Look how great I am. But those people out there, man, they have it messed up, right? Of course God would choose to make people in this church in his image. Look how great we are. No that God would make all of mankind in his image. I think it's a confronting reality that we actually have to begin to wrestle with and say, okay, if God has made all of mankind in his image, not just me, but everybody across this room, across the city, what does that mean? How am I treating the homeless as if they have dignity, value, worth, and purpose? How am I treating the disabled in our community? What does it look like for me to care for the orphans and the widows in our city as though they have dignity, value, purpose, and worth? What's it look like for me to to move towards immigrants People that look differently than me, speak differently than me, think differently than me, but that have been created in the image of God and say, I'm going to treat them as though they have been created in the image of God and as though they have dignity, value, purpose, and worth. How are we doing there? How are we doing with the men and women that we are across the screen from behind a closed door? People that have been created in the image of God that are being treated like products online, how are we doing there? How are we doing with difficult-to-love neighbors, coworkers, even family members, right? It's pretty easy to start to actually not treat them as though they have dignity, value, purpose, and worth because we think so highly of ourselves. And I just want you to know, Christians, I kind of expect this outside of the church this devaluing of human life but this should not exist within the church this has no place in the church actually to look at the human race from conception to natural death womb to tomb and to say we believe every human being has inherent dignity, value, purpose and worth because they have been created in the image of God this has to be the position within the church because the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 5 says this, if you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if that is a reality for you, here is what you are to do. Regard nobody according to the flesh. That means you don't just look at people and say, oh yeah, we're great, but those people over there. No, absolutely not when you understand that you were the one that was difficult to love, you were the one that was far off, you were the one that was isolated, and God moved towards you, and he created you, and he reconciled you, no, you say, now I can't help but see everybody as people that are created in the image of God. That is our only appropriate response, and that is the first implication that we actually need to take away from this being created in the image of God, that we regard nobody according to the flesh because everybody has been created in the image of God. But that's not all. Read with me in verse 27 again. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Just like in the first 25 verses of Genesis 1, we see God creating humanity with his authority to say, hey, this is how I'm going to create humanity, male and female, and with care, right? This grand design of male and female that is meant to be for our flourishing, this shows God's control and his care. And my concern is that we live in a day and age that we are completely neglecting this truth from God's word. Culturally speaking, we live in a world that we do not look to God for our source of truth. We look within ourselves. We look at our feelings. We look at our desires. And we say, certainly if I feel this way, this must be true. And this is a depressing dead end, you guys. When we start to say God does not define truth, but I define truth, and everybody defines their own truth, you are preparing to end up on an island. You are isolating yourself. You are robbed of truth, and and you are placing the incredible weight and pressure upon yourself to be self made. When the reality is, you are not self made, you are God made. And His truth is meant to rule. It's meant to be authoritative, and it is for our good. And so let me just say this. Your anatomy is not an accident. Your anatomy is not an accident. I want you to read with me. Verses will be on the screen. Psalm 139. These verses that David pens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking to God, he says, For you, God, formed my inward parts, It's beautiful. That when you were still, the Bible will say, unformed substance, that God intricately, intimately wove you together in your mother's womb and said, you will be a male or a female and it's for your good. And you were made, again, you were made to reveal God. And so men... The fact that you are created a man tells me that when God made you, he made you on purpose and with purpose. And the fact that you are a man means this is the best way that God knew he could reveal himself to you and through you. And you are best at being men and women. You were created intimately and intricately a woman. Because God knew this was the best way that he could make himself known to you and through you to reveal himself in the fact that you function as a woman. And you are best at literally everything else. And all the dudes say amen. <laughs> Come on. We know that's true. Okay. My concern when I look at this maleness and femaleness is that this actually presents a point of tension when we look back at point one. That we can actually look at the people in our culture that are being led astray by deceitful lies and schemes. And we, as the church, begin to not treat them as though they are made in the image of God. Okay? That must not happen. rather than looking out at a world that is just in such cultural confusion around gender identity and being filled with hate and outrage, what would it look like if we, the church, had the eyes of Jesus and looked out at these people, not with hate and outrage, but with hurt and compassion? People that are just stirred deep within our soul and we say, wow, these are people created in the image of God and they just don't know it. They don't know that they were made by God. They don't know they were made for God and that we would look at them as sheep without a shepherd being led to the slaughter. Not people that don't have value, people that have incredible value and just don't yet recognize it. We, the church, should be stirred to think that way and to see that way. And I want you to know that this is not just an out there problem, okay? There are people even in this room right now that I am certain are wrestling with this question, what about my gender identity? And I just want to reassure you, God did not make a mistake when he made you male or female. And your feelings will lie to you. And your desires will lead you astray, but God's word never will. You can cling to him, you can trust in him that he is for you and not against you. But one of the sweet things of of Genesis 1 is, 26 and 27, is that it was written to an initial audience, right? It was written to the Israelites, and reality is they weren't up in arms about gender identity. We need to talk about it because it's where the scripture meets the cultural moment, but that's not the primary point of the text. If you want to learn more about that Veritas, we are actually releasing an equipping podcast on gender identity in the Bible, that I want you to be looking for in the coming days and weeks. I think it'll be helpful for you as you just build out this framework of being made in the image of God. But that's not the primary point of the Spirit of God speaking of maleness and femaleness in this text. So I want to look back at verse 26 and then come back down to verse 27 and see what God might be trying to speak to us, okay? Verse 26, then God said, "'Let us make man in our image.'" After our likeness. Then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you see the plurals in verse 26? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's fascinating, isn't it? again, if you look back at the first 25 verses, you see kind of how God is creating. He creates plants to, to bear fruit from their seeds according to their kind. And then he creates animals to be able to reproduce and provide fruit of their kind. And now when God is making humanity in his image and he wants to make according to his kind, what does he do? He makes male and female. He makes us relational beings. Because we serve a relational God, okay? Verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness, does not explicitly say that God exists as the Trinity, but it is our first hint as we begin to read the rest of Scripture that God exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead, one God, three persons existing in community. And that means this, God did not create you because he needed somebody to love, God has been loving from eternity past because he himself is love, right? first John 4, this is love. God is love. And so he didn't need you to be loving because he has always been loving, but he has created us as relational beings, people that can know him, love him, and obey him. And so God making us in his image, he says, I want you to know me, I want you to interact with me, and I want you to represent me to the world around you. And so a question that I'm left asking is, what would people see about God if they looked at my life? What would people see about God if they look at your life? And this is where I think it's challenging if we want to answer that truthfully. Because I think we get this wrong from time to time if not all the time. We get this wrong. Rather than being people that are living out of this great purpose that God made us for, to reveal him to a watching world, we are the suds coming out of the dishwasher, leaving a mess on the floor. People look at us and they don't see God. They're actually not seeing God. And I think there's some of us in this room that might say, that's exactly why I don't go to church. So I'm not about this Christianity thing. And I want you to know, you're looking at the wrong image, okay? Because sin has distorted our ability to image God. It has not destroyed it. We are all still created in the image of God, but sin has distorted how we image God. And God was not going to leave it that way. Because he was still so intent in making himself revealed to humanity. Here's what he did. He sent the new Adam. Romans 5 talks about Jesus Christ, the new and better Adam, the perfect man who came and put on flesh, never sinned, perfectly lived as God's representative here on earth. He loved his enemies. He stooped down to his hands and knees and he washed people's feet. But not only that, he hated sin. He hated sin to the point that he climbed up the hill called Golgotha and he took the nails of the cross. This is Jesus, the perfect representative of God who has imaged him to us all. And in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, here's what Jesus has done, okay? Step one, he has reconciled you back unto God. Can I get an amen for that? Wow. (laughs) that Jesus would step in as the perfect representative, and reconcile us back to the Father. But here's what else he did. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you would say, I have placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has now given you his presence through the Holy Spirit, that he might begin to restore the image of Godness in you. It's this process called sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus. So if you've ever walked out of church and you're like, wow, I feel like I got punched in the gut. That is a gift. It is called conviction. And here's what God is doing. He is carving the sin out of your life that is hindering your ability to image God to the people around you. He is carving that sin out of you because here's what he wants to do. He wants to reveal himself to you and through you, Veritas. That is the gift of conviction. And so, really simply, I want to talk through three applications of the image of God. And the first is this. We have to repent. We have to repent. We cannot just feel this conviction deep within our hearts. We have to say, God, I don't want to sin anymore. To repent is to turn from sin and to turn towards God. And we can do that only by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And understand that in your repentance, he's trying to restore this image of Godness in you. What a gift. Step two, you are to regard nobody according to the flesh. That's 2 Corinthians 5 language. Repent, regard nobody according to the flesh. When we walk out these doors, before you even walk out these doors, as you look across this room and you see this family, that's jacked up too, you better believe it, okay? We are all made in the image of God. We all deserve to be treated with inherent dignity, value, worth, and purpose, and we are made to worship God, to start viewing people that way. And then lastly is to relay the gospel. Relay. It's this idea of taking the baton and passing it on to somebody else. This good news of Jesus Christ has been given to you, that you now know you have been created by God. You have been created for God. He has made you in his image. You have incredible value, worth, purpose, dignity. You were made for him. And you have fallen short, but Jesus Christ has come to make a way. And as we relay the gospel, we need to live the gospel, certainly. We need the gospel to be seen in how we act and speak and serve and lay our life down for other people. But we cannot simply just live the gospel. We must speak the gospel. We can't sit back and wait for people to say, wow, you're really different. Can you please tell me about Jesus Christ? That will not happen, okay? You need to open your mouth and just like, okay, get this, in the image of God, when God spoke and things happened, when you, made in the image of God, open your mouth, and begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 tells me this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who hear. Meaning when you speak the gospel, life happens. That's amazing. And I look at this bulletin, okay? Baptism, November 20th. It's not that far away, but you know what happens if we start lim- living out this image of Godness? November 20th, there's going to be a tank right here. And you better believe there's people that are gonna be getting dunked in water that have said, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And it's like, wow, how did you come to know that? I never knew I was made to know God. And I had this interaction with somebody where they actually told me that God made me and he made me to know him and Jesus made a way for that to be possible. Would we be that kind of church that lives out the image of Godness that we were made for? And would we get to see it overflow into more and more life, flooding into our city, all for the glory of God. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good, and you are big, and you are powerful, and you are mighty. And God, you have spoken creation into existence. With that, we understand that you are king, that you are authority, that you get to tell us what's best for us. And God, at the same time, we see your incredible care that you would create us in your image. What, what a humbling reality. That we were made to reveal you. And God, we confess that we have gotten this wrong. More often than we've gotten it right, God, we have not viewed ourselves the way you view us. We have certainly not viewed other people the way that you view them. And God, we plead you would change our hearts. Jesus, give us eyes to see people the way you see people help our hearts break and move with compassion when people are not living out their designed purpose. And God, as we just reflect on who you are and what you've done for us and in the person work of Christ, I pray that you would make the gospel fresh on our lips, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and the salvation for all who hear. And as we just go out, God, under the power of your spirit, not in our own efforts, as we go with you out these doors this morning, this week, would you use us to speak life to those around us, that they might know you and worship you forever because you are worthy of their worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.